and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And we welcome you to a summer bonanza. Right? Yes. Summer bonanza. It was a bonanza. So this week, we watched How Stella Got Her Groove Back, released in August of 1998. What were you seeing in theaters in August of 1998? I don't think I was seeing anything. I'm going to have to look at the list of films that were available, because I don't remember I can tell you two things. Opposite this movie uh, included a movie that I'd never heard of uh, called The Slums of Beverly Hills, with current... mm, I can't say current. I haven't watched the show in four seasons. With Orange is the New Black star, uh, Natasha Leon. I believe her name is pronounced Leon. Leon. It might be Lion. Leon. Uh, and Leon. also the terrible Avengers movie with Uma Thurman. Oh, I didn't see that movie. That was so disappointing. It really very much was. I did not see it in the theater. And so I didn't I, have any... You didn't have any background for it. So did no. you? when did you see it? I don't know, later on because TV. I remember you watching, I made you watch some old episodes of the Avengers. Yes, which were very good. And, and not it was this... like a revelation to you. And just, I think what I found most disappointing was that Diana Rigg and Patrick McNee had a lot of chemistry. It was falling all over the place. They just admired each other. And who was it? Uma Thurman and Ewan McGregor? No, no, no. Uh, it was another one of those vague, blonde Englishmen. Uh, Ray Fiennes. Oh, and I like Ray Fiennes, but they he just, might be better when he doesn't have a nose. That's his best performances are done without a nose. Ah, uh, sad. Uh, and without hair. Yes. Or when he has a hair lip. Apparently, that was one of my favorite one of his performances, Red Dragon. Ah, uh, Red Dragon. That's right. You had this based on the this uh, television show, which was a, just so much fun and whimsical. And you had these two actors who had a great deal of chemistry. And then you do an adaptation of that program that overdoes the whimsy to a ridiculous extent. Now it's become sort of a joke. Yeah. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was very jokey. Enjoyable. And even. then you had two actors who didn't seem to care for each other at all, almost as if they couldn't stand to be on the same set. And how they play this couple that, you know, years later, there's still a Tumblr sites devoted to shipping that those two people, yeah. Even yeah. though you never in know the if they actually were well, in a relationship. Fortunately... Uh, the show holds up and is available. Right. So and it's very fun. It's a wacky, goofy, weird show. It's yeah. a lot of fun. So if you can find it, yes. If the option is what to watch the Avengers or to uh-huh. watch the Avengers, go for the black and white one. Right. Yes, Miss Diana Rigg is a national treasure, she multinational is. treasure, uh, and did some fantastic work on Game of Thrones. That's my understanding. Yes, yes. she was very good at it. I showed you her death yes. scene. Yes. Oh, spoilers. Ooh, you gave everything away. No one will want to see Game of Thrones anymore. But we're not here to talk about two white people. We're here to talk about two black people. (laughs) This is not their story. This is not their story. So we watched How Stella Got Her Groove Back, a movie that I have been familiar with, you know, since it came out, and have never seen, uh, even though I do enjoy a romantic movie. It's not really a comedy. Although Whoopi Goldberg in this movie is extremely funny, even when she's being... She's ill. She's very ill. So, this synopsis is going to be pretty short because, y'all, for a long movie, not a lot happens. Well, that's kind of what, and for my part, I enjoyed the movie while I was watching it. 
I thought it dragged terribly in some places yeah. because I was under the impression that like a romantic comedy drama film, which is what this is listed as in some places, it was going to have kind of boy meets girl. There's some sort of often, you know, um, really transparent hurdle for them to overcome. Yeah. Not transparent hurdle, that's really that's two metaphors. <laughs> what I mean is it's some very low hurdle that they have to overcome right. to be together. Yes. And then they they're either together, are or they're not. Yes. And there's some sort of confession that happens, which actually does happen here in the rain. All of these Yorkshire. things happen in this. Right. But they there was such a long stretch. Yeah, it is long. And we watched in it. The, uh, end of the film, I feel. Yeah. We wa- yes. Where they were having the same conflict the same, over and over, over and over, over again. Over again. Um, so we watched this movie recorded off of VH1. Mm-hmm. So naughty bits were fuzzed out. Swear words were cut. There's nothing naughty about women's bosoms. And it was, maybe I was talking about a penis. I don't think you would have seen that. Probably no penis. So that it's is an a unfair bit. No world. No one should ever have to look at one. Well, or <laughs> no a one penis for every ever badge. <laughs> um, that wants one. <laughs> Nobody. Yes, you should. You should be able to look at them. You shouldn't be forced <laughs> That's a whole other to look at that them. discussion that I'd be very interested in having too. What? Just what constitutes nudity and what's uh, the way that we we nudity uh, means without clothes. Right. What do you mean? What what constitutes, constitutes nudity for a film audience? What means I get an R rating or I get a PG rating? Oh, interesting. So in the PG thirteen rating, I think Shakespeare in Love was PG thirteen. Um. We get to see an awful lot of pale, milky bosoms. If you see the front of a uh, man's genitals, like if you that's see, that's an automatic but car rating. It's right? an automatic R. Right. So I'm going. Sometimes it goes straight to NC seventeen. Yeah, and there's films. See half of Kevin Bacon's back catalog, oh, because apparently Kevin Bacon, if he's gonna do nudity, uh-huh. it's gonna be full frontal. Like that's in his. Ewan McGregor actually Same. did a I lot Same. I have seen a lot of, of his penis as well. I didn't need to. It didn't enrich my life in any way. Yeah, but you don't care for men or about men Sculptures or want to ever men, see a man. Yeah, that's not my thing. So you're not the And there's audience. nothing wrong with people who like that, but it's it's not. I almost felt that way at times with this movie. Like, it's... It was not just, and to the credit of the filmmakers, it wasn't just the romantic part of it. It was the slog of trying to determine what the relationship was. Yeah. And I think that after Whoopi Goldberg exits the film, there was just no kind of lightness to it. So it's just watching people argue. Yeah. And I've been yeah. through a divorce. So it's like <laughs> I didn't really need to see like a couple fight. For right. Time. Well, let's get into it. Okay. All right. So who's Stella? Stella is a goddess from another planet with perfect abs and beautiful thighs and she looks like uh, she was carved out of teak wood. And yes, and as, upsetting, and as upsettingly gorgeous as Angela Bassett is in this film, she looks the same today, 20 years later, yes. because I'm pretty sure she's a voodoo priestess, just like they say in... American Horror Story. Right. She was Marie Laveau, I think. And she is spectacular. So and she is Stella. There's no end of showing how spectacular she is. There I isn't. Love, she's photographed in these That's hero the poses all the, the, the film. That's the thing about the title, how Stella got her groove back, right? Mm-hmm. 
But Stella never stopped caring for Stella. Stella's self-care situation was fine. She was she was exercising on the regular. You mm-hmm. can tell she eats right. She's doing nice work with her skin. Like, <laughs> Stella is fine. What this movie should be called is How Stella Got Dick Again. <laughs> because that's the only thing that's quote-unquote missing from Stella's life. Stella is... A very capable, very powerful woman. She's a stockbroker, mm. it seems like. Yeah. Um, she works with Victor Garber in San Francisco. Weird place for a stockbroker to live. But okay, you get to live in Marin, so that's nice. There was a lot of nice Bay Area touches for people who Indeed, were in the Bay Area. Indeed, there were. Including like little details about having the right cab company. Yes, which DeSoto I, Cabs! Right, which I thought was really a neat touch, or the fact that uh, she's wearing a Jerry Rice jersey at one She's point. wearing a Jerry Rice jersey at the yeah. beginning, yeah. Um, you asked originally where this takes place because her son, as she's sending him off to mm-hmm. spend some time with his father, is wearing a Giants cap. Right. And I was like, well, I assume it's New York. And then, of course, the next scene, she's driving across the Golden Gate Bridge. And I'm like, or San Francisco. She could totally be living in San Francisco. Right. <laughs> um, it's a pretty iconic image. They put it pretty, pretty, pretty uh, forward. Well, because the author, the author of the book, has to got to grow back. Yes, this is based there. on a book, Terry McMillan. Right, which is probably why there's more about the drama. There's more of the drama aspect because there was probably a lot more of it in the book. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's right. a romance, it and in right. in romance, I read romance novels. Uh-huh. I've never read a Terry McMillan book, uh, mostly because the uh-huh. romance novels that I read, I get for free off of my book club <laughs> right. subscription, and Terry McMillan is. A higher caliber than that. But typically, yes, there's a lot of coming apart, fighting, er, er, fighting, breaking up, coming back together, having sex, fighting, breaking up, coming back together. <laughs> like So in a book form, mm-hmm. you expect that four or five times. In a movie, typically, yeah, it's one or two things and then they're either together or they're not. Yeah, Mostly which... because friends are like... Figure your shit out because I am tired of listening to you bitch about this. Which like is, in life. And I understand when you say get our groove back or when the, the, the film tells us that's what her issue is. I think the most that you can say about Stella, aside from being uh, physically perfect and highly intelligent, her one flaw seems to be apparently being sort of indecisive. She is indecisive, but I... Th- I, I there's only, nothing else in her nature that's indecisive. No, is, she's only indecisive in this one thing. And I'm and wondering if the character in the book is more vulnerable than her, because Angela Bassett really does look like a superhero. That's true. She charges around in her jogging shorts, you know, with her washboard yeah. abs and her... I honestly, there's a know, scene in this movie muscles, where a, a waitress or a bartender uh-huh. is clearly hitting on the man that she is with, uh-huh. who is 20 years her junior, but does, first of all, when they filmed this, he was 13 years her junior, not 20 years. Tay Diggs was not 20 when mm-hmm. this movie was made. And second, if I saw them together, I'd be like, damn, that's a fine couple. There's no way I'd be like, well, she's clearly his mom. Yeah. Like, you have to be out of your goddamn Do mind. Do you feel that in that respect the movie was miscast? I don't know. I, Here's the I, thing. Yeah. If so, it was Tay Diggs who was miscast because she is a 40-year-old woman. 
She's an exceptional 40-year-old woman. She which I think is, is an exceptional 40-year-old woman, but maybe that's right. also what the filmmakers were saying. Look at this woman uh-huh. who, from the outside, we're like, God damn. Uh-huh. And all she is in her head is old. Which seems to be part of... So it doesn't matter what we right. think, because in her head, all she's thinking is, She's too old for And that. she's kind of, she's an intriguing character in, in a lot of respects. I, I think I loved, and it happened more in the beginning of the film and not so much in the end, because to, to tell you how I felt about it, it felt like it was two uneven parts. Because the first part of the movie is very funny. Yeah. And it's not just Whoopi Goldberg. There's a constant dialogue going on in her head. So she's a stockbroker. Yes. She gets rid of her son for, yes. for a while. Yes, so Quincy goes away then, um, to visit... Um, the chief right. <laughs> from Grey's Anatomy, James Pickens Jr. That's what I know him from. Sorry, dude. I know you had a fulfilling life Career. before Grey's Anatomy, uh-huh. but that's what I know you from for the last 14 years. So that's what I know you as here. Um, we don't know that that's who her, da- who her baby daddy is or ex-husband. That's rude. It's her ex-husband. Um, and she sees a commercial which appears to have her in it and right. is straight up talking to her. And she calls her friend, Whoopi Goldberg, and says, we're going to Jamaica. And she hangs up and she goes, oh, that's dumb. I can't go to Jamaica. Of course she can. She could totally go to Jamaica. So Whoopi calls her back and goes, uh, yes, you can go to Jamaica. You're going to go to Jamaica. You can afford this. You deserve this. You haven't taken a break in however long. We're going to Jamaica. I'll see you in, I'll see you there. And so they, she gets on a flight and she goes. Um, and the relationship between her and Whoopi is really nice. This is a woman that she says she's known for 22 years. So they met presumably in college, freshman year in college, 18. That sounds right. These are both clearly well-educated women. Uh, Whoopi is very funny in this. She's trying to get them hooked up as a pair with these two ex-NFL players. Retired. And, and there's an, even a bit where Angela Bassett, or Angela Bassett, says, I didn't come down here to hook up with soft old men or something. Yeah. Because they clearly are past their prime. Yeah. And she's, at 40, is at her prime for a 20-year-old. You know? Yeah, that's it's the thing. It's very much like, like watching, I think... It gave me a similar feeling to watching Cornell Wilde in The Naked Prayer, a movie that we mentioned before, who he's 50 years old, he's suffering from dysentery, and he's in better shape than right. almost everyone else yeah. you've ever met. And so you're going, I'm not sure exactly. It's like this is just a physical specimen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I don't know who would come up to her standards, and then we do meet the person. We meet the person. So she... The next morning, where he's working out, she goes for a run, and then she's having breakfast. Mm-hmm. And Tay digs. She notices him, and he notices her, How and asks to sit with her. Um, and she allows that. And she is at this point, and it does go away. Mm-hmm. She's there is a right. the, this dialogue in her head, and that's those are the parts I found funny because she's talking to herself the whole time in her head. Yeah. And everything that... Like, this is ridiculous. That first confrontation... Oh, not confrontation. That sounds awful. That first meeting that they have, 
works as a piece of romantic comedy because you're getting her trying to remain cool on the outside and this panicked inner voice right. just making all these comments about how young Because Charlotte Hanks is fine. And this is, <laughs> I, I, there's a couple of, of moments when this film came out, it released something into the public consciousness. And I remember I had a friend and she was just smitten with Tay Diggs. Mm-hmm. And she went back and saw this movie several times just because she, she kept saying, he looks like he's velvety. Like I want you have, Yes. <laughs> For, okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that, actually. Yeah. Everyone in this movie looks great because they are lighting for black people. Right. They, most of the people on screen are black and... I don't know if everyone is aware of this, but the lighting requirements for mm. darker skin versus lighter skin are very different. And due to, oh, you know, white supremacy <laughs> and Hollywood, typically, if a white person is in the scene, the scene is lit for said white person. Now, unless it's they're a side character in a in a mostly black cast uh-huh. but even then a lot of times this the lights just don't look as good because people cinematographers either don't know how to light for black people or choose to light for the lighter people everyone in this movie is lit beautifully everyone looks fantastic whoopi looks great not that would you know that sounds mean, right. <laughs> but well, standing next to Angela Bassett, Whoopi Goldberg is Whoopi Goldberg, and Angela Bassett is not. Of cinematic history to share. Uh, there was a makeup artist named Ben Nye, who used to work in Hollywood back in the glorious old days, and he worked on Gone with the Wind. Okay. And he made friends with the actress Hattie McDaniel, Daniel, uh, the yes. black actress who won the Best Supporting Actress mm-hmm. the, the first time, the first black actor ever to win an Academy Award. And one of the things that he said, and I'm not sure what brought this out in him. He made friends with her and then realized how horrible black people looked in color movies in particular mm-hmm. because he said they were li- the makeup well, in was black really and white I think it's very different when they're right. when you're lighting for black and white I think it's very different and I think black oh, no, people do look better but, in early black and white films. Right. But this was color Gone with right. the was early color film. Understood. And he said the makeup was terrible. They were just, they were, so he worked to develop a makeup for black actors. Oh, that's awesome. And because this was his friend, and it's like, no, we can't put her on screen looking like that. Looking she looks, green. You know, yeah. And, yeah, it was sort of ghoulish. And she would either look gray or she would look red. And so he worked to mm. develop a color palette for black actors. That was one of his huge contributions. And I think he He's later an on, early Rihanna. He later on went on to work for Max Factor or something, developing makeup for all kinds of skin tones. Oh, that's awesome. But there was, um, I believe that's the case. I know that there was, even when they were doing The Great Escape, you know, the prison escape movie, they had actors who were English, German, and American. Uh-huh. And you couldn't light James Coburn the same way you lit one of the German actors because there was just such a difference in skin tones. Interesting. So they had to go, like, pancake this kind of, like... They tried and put them all to the beak the same shade, right? right? Which is yeah. kind of what the issue was in the old days with lighting and, and makeup for black actors. Mm-hmm. I like this movie because this is just you're constantly punched in the nose with images of black beauty. Yes. And you don't get to see that. A lot of our images of beauty happen to be Caucasian Not just people. beauty, though. Smart, too. No, smart, the too. The conversations but, that they're having but is smart. Not, and, yeah. and again, the smart thing is, is a given, but we'd been, at this point, had 30 years of Sidney Poitier and other actors okay. doing, doing mean, smart black performances. New, right. But we didn't get to see a lot of just this, like, um, just being bombarded with images of physical beauty. 
yeah. like this. Yeah. You didn't get to see it a lot. Um, you did it in films for smaller audiences, but this was a mainstreamed movie. And so I, I appreciate that. I mean, Angela Bassett's kind of ridiculous, I think, looking <laughs> in a way, not in a bad way, to, yeah. but she's one of those actresses who goes in the same classification as someone like Salma Hayek or in older things, people like Ursula Andress were just all cheekbones and, and, and curves. Yeah. And it's, it's... Although she's not the curviest person. But she does have... She looks physically really strong. Yes, she does look like she's and, breaking you know, a fucking half. Which is why I, we had this conversation. Why are deeply. you not stolen? Right. But she, we know why. There was a request for Dollar her, bills, y'all. A, a huge fan base for her to play Storm when mm-hmm. the X-Men movie um, first was being cast, but that there was she was out of their price range at the time. Yep. Which was a huge pity because I think she really does. If anybody could carry off the part of being an African goddess incarnate... This would be you saw it when she was mama in Black Panther. Right. You got that white hair, and I was like, <gasps> she's living her storm moment. Right. Well, <laughs> she is. She's just regal. There's some actors who have that presence, and she certainly does, which, again, almost worked against her here because I'm... That's the thing, she's yeah. She's not vulnerable, really. But it's, it's not about what you right, see. Right, exactly. Okay. Um, so maybe this is a movie imploring strong black women to get therapy so that they can see what everyone else sees. Right. Mm. Um, so she meets... So Tay Diggs comes over and they have a conversation wherein she finds out he's 20. She tells him he's 40. His name is Winston Shakespeare and his accent is occasional. That's not true. He did his best. You know, I He think, has an accent uh-huh. for the whole movie. <laughs> I think he has a very watered-down patois. Yeah. I but so. I think in this case, it might not have been his fault. He is a consummate actor. And he is very he's good, a yes. consummate stage actor, too. Mm-hmm. And so I think it might have been that the, the full-on accent might have been difficult for audiences to follow. Right. I mean, we've been exposed to a lot more since Well, then. and he came from a very upper class... His character came from a very upper class place. We found out, find out that his father is a surgeon, uh-huh. and we do end up meeting his parents at, at one point. Um, so I have a feeling that he was, you know, implored to speak in certain ways. So he says there's this pajama party pajama disco later and she's like yeah I'm definitely not going to do that but then when Whoopi invites her to double date at a seafood restaurant with the two NFL gentlemen she turns that down because she's going to just stay in because apparently she's the oldest tiredest person but really she's trying on pajamas and can we talk about her Night garments for a second. <clears throat> she spends more on things to sleep in than I spend on my entire wardrobe. This woman, <laughs> I don't know that she knew that there were going to be ex- or times when she would be in public in her nightgowns, but damn. Well, th- I, I believe that goes part of towards what you mentioned about her the level of self-care that she has. Yeah, that's true. I think that's right. Um, her loungewear is gorgeous. <laughs> As a woman who would live in loungewear 100% of the time, if possible, I was very jealous. Also, I can't wear some of the colors that she can pull off. There was a hot pink and orange situation that I was like... Which I couldn't even see. Go ahead, yeah. rub it in. It was beautiful. I could never wear it. I would look... Like a pepper. 
<laughs> it'd be a, it'd be a real mess. But she looked fantastic. So she goes to this thing, and he's there waiting for her, and he says she's late. And she says, I, I can't be late to a thing I didn't even say I was coming to. Uh, and then they dance and dance and dance, and then Whoopi catches her. <gasps> Who is this child that you are dancing with? No, I have to say the two NFL guys are with her. They are. They are in, at times problematic, but they actually they turn out to be not bad guys. They are extraordinarily problematic and also not bad guys. No. That is right. That, there's nothing sort of pervy or necessarily weird no, about them. That The one that is trying to hook up with her is pervy. Well, the <laughs> things that he says are completely inappropriate, and if it was now, she would... Her inbox would be blowed up with dick pics. I promise this is a okay, man but who we're, sends we're dick projecting pics. projecting there. <laughs> I, I think what happens is that the pajama party at some point is mostly young, sinuous, beautiful people. Yes. And at some point, they start shedding their clothes. Then they start shedding, yeah, two and hours And he finds this as an excuse to show his middle-aged body. And that scene is very it funny. It is very cause funny. Because he's, he's dancing against Tay Diggs. Right. So he sees... He sees... His competition. Right. He's a grown-ass man. He understands what he's looking at. And still strips down with his little tummy uh-huh. and his banana hammock. And <laughs> banana hammock, wow. Yep. But That was definitely a thong. You didn't see the back of it, but it was definitely a thong. I couldn't see thong. the front of it. It was, just, <laughs> it was well underneath him. Um, and Stella, as a character, and this is one of the things that made me like the character... She at no point tries to humiliate she or doesn't. Him. She laughs because everyone is laughing and he's laughing too. Right. And she's like, I can't handle all no, of you're, this. You're too hot you're for too me. Hot for right. Me. That's her thing. Not to make him feel bad about himself or his middle aged body, but yeah. that's too much for me. I'm gonna go with the other Because young very man. easily she could have been yes. like, I'm sorry, have you seen me? <laughs> right. What is this? I don't what is this that you are bringing to the table? Because have you seen what I have to offer? And what works for that actor and I, I he he had a great sense of humor, and the scene itself plays out really kind of funny. Instead of let's make fun of somebody, very from... Shabaka Henley. Shabaka, I like that. Mm-hmm. But he, uh, it's not played at his expense. It's not. He is. He's made the joke. Right. So it is not as at his expense. That is right. Um, she ends up. Is that the first time they hook up? I think that's the first time they hook up. Anyway, oh, and he tries to like. No, no, no she doesn't right away because Whoopi comes to her room afterwards, wondering why she. Well, that's hasn't right. Why up didn't you? Him. I saw him sucking down cheeseburgers at the restaurant. That's right. right. I was like, of course. And he so is. we're we're introduced there to the theme that's going to go all throughout the rest of the film, which is whether or not I want to, but I can't. Right. But I want to, but I can't. <laughs> Bitch, yes, you can. <laughs> 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 like yes, you really, you really can. can. That's the theme of this film. Um, yes, yes, exactly. we can. yes, we can. <laughs> they end up seeing each other, and he is making real efforts to see her, but then gets this job because um, he had come to the resort looking to be a sous chef or a he says assistant to the chef, but he is trying to get a job. See, with, you know the fancy, fancy technical terms. Yeah. Uh, so he. Does not want to go to medical school because he probably will, but he's not passionate about it. He doesn't even really understand what being passionate about something means. Like, mm-hmm. literally that phrase, he asks her to explain it. And I'm like, that's weird. He's very young. 
But I also wonder if it's just not a phrase that Jamaicans use. Because I feel like at the age of 20, to be passionate about something is a phrase that we would understand here. But I'm wondering if maybe Jamaican sense of duty and what you're supposed to do oh, I, I overtakes that, I guess. culturally. Right. Uh, who gives a fuck if you're passionate about your job? Does it pay? Yeah. Is it something that you can be good at? I think that also, yeah. He's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I wonder There's if culturally a sense to your passion is, doesn't need to come into your career. His mantle that he's carrying on as mm, well. Yeah. That this is something that he's not really, he doesn't want to fit into the position of being like his parents who are wealthy and have a great deal going for them, but mm -hmm. especially mom in that family. Well, anyhow, we're going to get to that. Yeah. We're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so they end up, and she's like, well, don't, you know, lead me on if you're too busy. And he's like, no, 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 I'm going to make time She for sees you. this as a ruse. She, does, she thinks that he's just leading Playing her high on. school which, games. Which is a little bit crazy because he keeps trying to make yeah, but, time for her. But I guess I could see, like, yeah. so you've got another date earlier in the evening and you're just seeing if I'm still... It's like a you up, but right. a preemptive you up. Well, also, I think that... It, feeds into her insecurity and mm -hmm. in a really interesting subtle performance you see the change in her features right away yeah yeah, yeah. when she gets she's told. clearly disappointed yeah like her face literally falls when she puts it right back together but she's yeah. like look i'm not gonna do this they end up you know seeing each other again they do end up sleeping together although it is not slick because here's the thing that y'all may not know about 20 year olds they may not be good at the sex because they're 20 and they haven't done it that many times. So he tries to like be slick with an ice cube and it doesn't it work does not well. Know. And then I think she hits him or so like something happens and he has to excuse himself and well, the, the they games, get through it. The, the games will not get through it. They seem to enjoy it because she makes right. comments later on to her. To, to no, 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 no. They, they, right. I mean, they get through the weird awkwardness. Now, granted, but I think I first like that time scene. sex is awkward anyway. I like that scene because it really plays into her his idea of what is sexy that gets something you read in a magazine or something yeah. you see in a movie. Yeah. Versus her idea of sexy, which is. More experiential. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I kind of like that. Like, no, this is going to be weird, and it's going to be a transition where we're going to kind of find out where the baseline is for both of us. So yeah. So that worked out pretty well, too. And then there's just, like, a couple of scenes about their time in Jamaica, and I was surprised that that was over so quickly. Yeah. Well, I it's, a, it's only, be... like, a week vacation, right. and then, yeah, she's she they're back in, like, a half an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, into the movie or so. Right. So that was what startled me because I thought this was what the movie was about. Right. Um, and, um, and we also learned that Delilah, that's Whoopi's character's name, uh, has not been feeling well. She's tired and doesn't matter what she does. She's not getting better. And I'm like, oh, no, that's foreshadowing. So they end the vacation on a little bit of a sad note. But, you know, he's his life is in Jamaica. She's got to go home. So she... Heads back to San Francisco and is promptly fired, <laughs> which no. is some bullshit. There's a couple of characters that we should mention that we haven't mentioned yet. Yeah, that play a big part in the film, and those would be her two sisters. Oh, um, yeah. 
So Regina King is the sister that's a person. <laughs> and Suzanne Douglas is a real bitch. She's pregnant and Regina hates King everything. Is, yeah. Regina just, King is the voice of Kotex and Riley. But she also is a, I believe, Emmy Award winning actor because of her performances in American Crime. Well, which and are amazing. That maybe. Yeah, she, so she she's so she's fantastic. Amazing. But in this movie she's She's like, very funny. She's only comic, in a few scenes. Right. The comic relief, almost, once Whoopi's gone. Mm. She does a lot of the kind of uh she's like the inquisitive sister who wants to know all the details yeah. of the love affair and who's supportive and the other sister is just She's a real mean. bitch. And I, I mean, don't for no reason. Well, she's one of those people. She's a particular kind of character. She which needs is, you to my she way needs, of life is right for everybody. And and what you do reflects on me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which, no, it doesn't. And also, she's super successful. She's got a... Yeah. She's like, you were halfway around the world, so what if something had to happen to your son? I'm like, her son was in the capable, I assume, hands of his father. It's fucking fine. There are planes. Right. He had flown away anyways. I don't... Jamaica may have been closer to wherever Quincy was. <laughs> um, so she, yeah, she gets back. She gets fired. They've been her company has been merged with another company, and she's been, as they say in Britain, made redundant. So one person from that's her a team. Horrible way to put I it. I know, but that's but in this case, it's very accurate. They had people at the same level, and they only needed one people. Well, it's also, there's a, there's a, a brief, there's a lot of subplots, and this is also something that, that bothered me about the film, is it raises a lot of subplots that never get resolved. Or not never get resolved, they're given too little attention. They're very small, and it seems like, why are we spending any time at all? Like, at the very beginning, we see that Victor Garber needs uh, Stella's help with some stuff. Yeah. So he relies on her quite a bit. He, not made redundant, weirdly... And he says, he gives her a heads up, because the way that she finds out is she's trying to log into her fucking computer and she can't. That's a bullshit way to find out. Give a girl a call. Um, He's like, oh, this is what happened. We merged and the person from the other firm is taking your slots and they're going to give you a good package. And she's like, well, my lawyers will ensure that they give me a good package and don't tell me you were looking out because what you were busy doing was making sure you didn't get a nice package on your way out the fucking door. Um, and then later, I'll, we'll just skip ahead because uh, the, all of the work stuff is this. It's about 10 minutes of what you feel should be important. And right. it impacts your life, but it's just so little. Yes, time. 10 minutes of the entire film is, is work. So it's she's very good at her job and Victor Garber is eh, fine at it. She's fired and he keeps his job. And then at the end, they offer her her job back at a, what I assume is a substantial raise, plus commissions. We never realized how much we relied on you. Mm-hmm. No, we didn't. In your absence, it became apparent that I relied on you to be able to do my job, so I'm going to need you to come back. And, and maybe it's just because I'm not a big fan of this sort of romantic movie that I kept feeling that that was important enough to where we should address that. Yeah. Um, well, and, and the way that it plays out is, now, uh, Stella had previously, before she got involved in the corporate world, made furniture. And she had a workshop on her property that was in disrepair, hadn't been used, and she hadn't made anything, been creative in a long time. 
when she's offered a job back down the road at the back end, this is a, we're doing this in a weird order. That's fine. Well, following the subplots, um, right? yeah. The, the, of course, the um, she denies it. She turns them down. She says that she's going to do her own. She's going to have her own business. She's going to work f- um, for the few clients that she took with her out of the away from you know that followed her when she left. Right. And then maybe she would make furniture as well. And is like, why am I doing this? And Winston's like, well, because maybe now you'll have some time for you instead of all of your time going to the work, which we don't see. That's the thing. We don't ever see that. We see her at work at the very beginning of the movie. The whole rest of the movie, she's on vacation. So we don't see it. I feel that was a kind of a failure on the part of the filmmakers to give the impression of how important the work was because we don't see her doing it. Right. Um, And not just how important it is, how much of her life it took up. Yeah. Because we don't also see a strange relationship between her and her son because work is always happening. No, her son is we don't see any of that. Almost ridiculously um He's very good natured. Good natured and friendly and understanding. Yeah. And, and I think I didn't at times I didn't feel like he was even a real kid. He was just so There was no sullenness of who's right. this man trying to tell me what to do. Well, there's there barely is any no, of it. I mean he yeah. mentions it at one point and then it's over because what happens is he winds up, she winds up going back. Right. So she's fired, uh-huh. and Winston calls her and says, I want to see you. I miss you. And she's like, you don't miss me. Like, we were together for a week or whatever. You don't miss me. But meanwhile, she really does miss him. Like, as soon as she lands, she's like, I really have feelings for this person. I'm not supposed to have feelings for this person, but I really do. And... She says, well, I did promise Quincy that I'd take him to Jamaica, and my schedule has opened up. So they go back. So she's flying back to Jamaica with Quincy, her son, and her niece, uh, Chantal. And then there is an extended period while they are down there. Vacation part two. And the niece, I didn't even feel like, why was she there? Or what to was get, You know what I think it was, honestly? Uh-huh. To give Quincy somebody to be around so that it wasn't weird that Stella was spending so much time with this young man. I guess so. You know but what I mean? I just mean? sort of felt like she was, you know... Like she didn't really, con- but again, I'm thinking of, she, here's a book that's condensed down. Right, and they she was was she stuff. the pregnant ones? I don't even know daughter or another. I don't know where she came from. Yeah. I really don't know whose She's just child there. she was. Here's a kid. <laughs> Maybe it was. No, I think she was Regina. Because he said at one point says, "Can I bring her with me?" Like yeah, and then suddenly she's on vacation, and there's a couple of moments of conversation between uh, the boy and girl, and then Winston gets introduced to them. Yeah. And the, the only time that you see the son being a little resentful is he goes, well, she had to come all the way down here to get a boyfriend because there weren't any or she couldn't find one. She couldn't find one at home. In, in America yeah. or whatever. And then he almost immediately, because of his youth, starts playing with him like I he's mean, a kid. I mean, that's the thing. They're right. playing video games. He jumps in the pool and starts playing Marco Polo with them immediately because their age difference is like, what, <laughs> nine years? Yeah. Because her yeah. son is 11. Now, I like Winston. I'm a fan of the Tay Diggs character. He's young, and I think they play him young in good ways. He does a fucked up thing by bringing her, unbeknownst to her, to meet his parents. That's fucked up. 
don't do that. There's no excuse for that. No. So they're just, they show up. She thinks they're going to a park or something. So she's dressed like a tourist. She's wearing sandals. She's wearing jeans that are a little cut up, some light wash boot cut jeans. Even on Angela Bassett, those don't look good. Um, and then like a almost a sheer tank top. Right. Um, she's not the way you want to be presented. She's still, she, It's not what she would have put on she's to She's putting on a full-on, you know, I, I, it's funny, I can't even say middle-aged and think about her. It's like middle-aged sexy. Like, it's even hard to say. She's just, she's wearing tourist, but, comfortable tourist yeah, clothes. Yeah, but what I she's mean She's appropriately is, dressed for being yeah. out, but she says, I am not dressed for this. And he says, you look beautiful. And she says, your mom's going to think I look like a hooker. And guess what? 100%. <laughs> Hundred percent, mom doesn't pull any punches, and it's like, what the fuck are you doing with my son? Like, you're a grown ass woman. What are you doing with my son? With my baby? And he, she says, this is where Angela went wrong, or Stella went wrong. She says he's no baby, which don't be gross. She, right. <laughs> and then mom says he's my baby. Well, she Which also, is exactly the, the the conversation that Stella will have right. in nine years if a 40-year-old woman walks in with Quincy. Right. It's the same, because she says, how old are you? And Stella says, I'm 40. And she says, I'm 41. And she looked now, good. Up until <laughs> this point, Stella, part of her internal uh, monologue, and also her conversation with Winston is to say, I'm old enough to be your mother. Yes. And now I like, there's a nice sort of uh, full circle where, yes, she is literally, literally old, old enough, enough to be his mother. And um, you can see how that bothers Winston when she says it. Because he keeps, she keeps bringing it up. She's saying it in a way that's almost dismissive of him. And he's, what we get the sense of is he's actually falling in love with her. Yes. And she's very much on the fence about, Letting that happen. Letting that happen, but at the same time, knowing that she has feelings for him and she's obviously really physically attracted to him. Right. The mom, the, the scene with the mom was really, it's short, but it's uncomfortable enough to last you for quite a while. Yeah. This trip was poorly thought out, mm -hmm. uh, don't lie, and uh, sick a uh, parental meeting on a significant other. But that seems like a kid ever. thing to do. It is a kid thing to do. So it's 100% a kid thing to do. And it seemed to me like he was saying to his parents, I've made a choice and there's nothing you can do about it. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Which, don't bring don't Stella her, that and person. her kids yeah. Yeah. into that. Because Quincy and Chantal were there. You know, they're not going to be oblivious to the fact that some weird shit is going well, down. Well, you also see the first time that Stella and Winston had this kind of disagreement and the way that they handle it. She gets angry about it. He just sort of acquiesces and goes, we're going. And throughout the course of the film later on, it seems like his arguments end with, I'm going, I'm leaving. This is, you know, he doesn't confront things. And I think that's probably one of the first times you really see it. Like when pressure's on, he's just going to go. Was that after? At, what do you mean, after this scene? Yeah. You see more of that later on when... Well, no, I'm just saying, when does he just go? I don't... Well, no, no. When they're at the parents' house... Yeah. They have their argument, and he's just like, let's let's leave. He doesn't want to stay there and confront it. He doesn't want to talk to them. 
he wants to sort of find a way to smooth things over without ever resolving anything. I don't think he understands what resolution is. That's what it means. (laughs) Yeah. And they're going to have an argument, but then it's Whoopi's uh, phone call. Yes. So there, yes, that's right. They get back to the, the hotel and she gets a phone call. And it is, and this is after she's spoken to Whoopi, who we see is in a hospital bed, but does not say that she is in the hospital. Yeah. Now, um, Stella lives in San Francisco. Whoopi lives in New York. So these are lifelong friends who talk all the time, but are not in the same place. Um, and she gets a call from her doctor because she's been listed as next of kin. And he says, when we opened up in the surgery, we found that the cancer had spread to our liver. Now, we don't know where the mm-hmm. cancer started. Right. Um, well, neither does Stella. This no, nobody knows that. Part. Yeah, we don't, we don't know. But we know that if it is spread to her liver, we're looking at stage four cancer. That's what that means. If the cancer is spread from its original place into another organ, we've hit stage four. That's bad. And in this case, it is terminal and so she is told if you can come you should come and she does she goes and there's a very funny scene and i don't know if it's because whoopi's supposed to be hopped up on uh, on pain medication because she is she actually asks stella to give her more morphine at one point in the scene because it's clear that she's in pain but the conversation that they have is Hysterical. Like, very fun. Like, we were laughing out loud at well, this Well, because, thing. and this is Whoopi Goldberg's gift, is that she makes it whatever she's given to say, and I don't know that most of this wasn't improvised, is that she really does do a great job of making this look like it's coming directly from her. Mm-hmm. And her so, delivery is flawless. Right. Yeah. And it really does sound like you're eavesdropping on a conversation between two old friends. Yes. And it's... Because they're talking about people that they haven't talked about since college and like nicknames for those people and right yeah and I and it, that you get a real feeling of camaraderie between the two women yeah that's a, it's a sad scene because uh, you can see that she's not long for this world um, and she's in a lot of pain but it is a an extremely funny scene and it really shows that like that friendship is very good it's like, central to what makes Stella Stella and that's why I think without you know obviously. She doesn't survive the film, but she doesn't even survive at the end of the scene almost. No, it's like she that's sort of the last out. scene. The next scene then, that we see is right. the funeral scene. And this is why Winston's there. And so at Stella's speaking at the funeral, it, which is in New York, and Winston shows up as she starts her speech. And she did not ask him to come. No. The, the theme of, but the, she did need him to of come. her eulogy is like, who's going to be my best friend now? Right. And then he winds up going with her. They and I get the suggestions. Obviously, it's going to be Winston is going to somehow replace. But well, you can't be a replacement for twenty two well, years. But of that's it. He, the, friendship. They were friends for longer than Winston days. Had been alive. Yeah. So this is another because we're really what we're watching is a woman go through transitions in her life. Yep. And figure out what the fuck she wants. Yeah. Like she's forty now. And she's gone through this big life transition with the loss of this job that she had, and then the second Which big life transition, right? And a second big life transition with this friend that she's had for half over half of her life, which also defined her. 
So now who the fuck? Yeah, so she is goes she? on to this barbecue, and this is where Regina King gets a very funny scene. Yes. Trying to coax her out of the back of the, the car. Because it Because they're out, dropping Chantal off right. and she, and he's like, Oh, what's that smoke? And she's like, Oh Lord. And then Chantal bounces back and says, Mom says she's having a barbecue and you guys have to come in. <laughs> and she just stands there through the tinted glass. We can see her. She can't see she Stella. She can't see Stella. Uh, Stella's so like, we're not going. <laughs> and Regina's like, I'm not fucking dr- You're not right, driving not away. So. And then there's that scene I liked. She does more neck work in right. that scene yeah. than work with her mouth. <laughs> she's just very funny. And she winds up going to the barbecue. Which and the, the the people at the barbecue include Stella's ex husband. Yes, who's totally cool. Right. He's like he's like a grown ass man about this whole thing. There's no competition. There's no mocking. Her. The mm. only person who says some shit about him being too young is he's her bitch course. sister. <laughs> but there's a neat little scene where both the who ex-husband. I will stay because I'm sure it is important. Uh-huh. That sister is pregnant with twins and married to a white man. So that is a key, important That's thing the character, yeah. to that character. And mm. I bet in the book it's I'm sure the, the, well delved into. It. The fact that they show that, and he is really the only white person with a face other than Victor Garber in this whole movie, mm-hmm. means that that is important. Like, that is an important character detail. I'm telling you something about this woman right now. Well, uh, there's a neat scene where the ex-husband and the new boyfriend are sitting in long chairs Uh next to each other just having a conversation Mm -hmm. about Stella. And even she gets anxious about it, but... I think that (laughs) these two guys, uh, the ex-husband is not going to be... He's not intimidated at all. Nope. Because um, he also doesn't, I don't think there's anything left of that relationship. Yeah, but there's also an element where this guy's young and physical, but I have a hell of a lot of money. And there so might be that. There might be that. He's sort of balanced out, like, okay, good for you. You're going to go do this. Yeah. But yeah. It does not bother him at all. You know, he's. he's yeah. So the whole rest of this uh, movie is basically them figuring out if they can be together. Her yeah. going, you're too young, and him going, you have to let me pay for some stuff. Because that's the other thing. He doesn't have a job. He's he, a kept man. Yeah. He, well, he can't get a job, right? Because right. he's On vacation, not, essentially. Yes. I mean, he's... he's um, so... Her time in Jamaica was a lot better than his time in New York, in San Francisco. In San Francisco. I mean, he's playing video games. He's hanging out. Excuse me. He tries to pay for things, and she gets mad about it, but then he wants him to, like, take out the trash, and she doesn't want to be his mom, but she feels like his, she's his mom sometimes, because he's 20, so, so like, that's a thing. Um, now, did you feel that this, this part of the film became almost drawn out? Yeah, like this part felt... Watching? There, there were some nice scenes where, um, like... Uh, at one point, he wakes up and she's not in bed, and she finds he finds her like in the living room crying, just missing her friend, which is a nice little scene. And he comforts her. He fixes up the workshop uh-huh. so it's usable, yeah. and she's like, you know, he's like, do the thing that you're passionate about. Now that I know what that phrase means. You should do that. I just learned this. Um, and then 
at, at this point, too, this is when she has turned down the job offer, the return job offer. So she's still not sure what she wants to do. And finally, it like comes to be where she just doesn't feel like she can do it. I don't know what this time, what the breaking point there, because there's that's the thing. There's no, they just have these little arguments over and over again, and there's no like big blow up. It's just, I'm too old for you. You're too young for me. We're at the wrong points in our lives. This isn't gonna work. You should go. That's um, ultimately, and I basically, what I began having a problem with because I felt like at this point I was losing patience. Yeah, he attempts to he presents her with a uh, engagement a ring. ring. Yes. And she refuses to say yes right away. And because also they haven't known each other that long. Right. Like realistically, this is like two months in. Now, he I think probably on day two was like, This is the woman that I'm gonna live with forever. And there's a conversation right at the beginning uh-huh. where he says, Get it out, say it over and over again how old you are and how young I'm I am. So that I never have to hear it again for the rest of our lives. And she looks at him incredulous and he goes, for the rest of the week. Right. There. That was actually a good slip. That was good. Right? So mm-hmm. he had, like, this is, you this know. This is a real relationship for This her. is the woman that I want to have a mm-hmm. relationship with. And he, she can't get on the same page because I don't think she believes that you can fall in love that fast. But I think there's also a cultural thing where she... Her ideas about love involve as an older woman also. And again, it always seems so ridiculous to financial security. Financial security, yeah. stability, because she does complain. Well, he sits in bed and eats what was it, Fruit Loops or Cocoa Puffs. Cocoa Puffs and <laughs> and yeah, this is like a kid thing. He, yes. So he's like finally he's like, I'm gonna go. Like what he says, and this is when I think both he like he sort of steps up mm-hmm. and makes and, and then something clicks in her brain. I'm never gonna stop being twenty years younger than you. Like I can't. There's nothing that I can do about that. But a real man is not a person who makes more problems in their partner's life. You have to figure out what's going on with your work. You have to figure out what's going on with your family. You have to figure out what's going on with your like friendship circle now that you've lost this person. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be one more thing that you have to worry about. I'm supposed to be here to take worry away, not to add worry. So I'm going to go. These are very traditional roles, by the way. Yes. that's Well, no, I, very... I would say uh-huh. you could take the gendering out of it. Uh-huh. A partner in a relationship shouldn't be a person who's adding to the other person's worries. They should be helping carry the load, whatever the load is, and vice versa. It should be both ways. Now, his load, not very big. He just doesn't have a fucking lot to worry about right now in his life. So he's like, I'm going to go. Like, I'm not leaving you. I'm not. But I'm at 10 o'clock tonight, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take off because it's, it's easier and cleaner if I just go. We don't drag a, it yeah. out. And I'm not closing the door. But I don't want to be a further drain on you in at this time in your life. Exactly. And she gets it, and she's, you know, uh-huh. she's not thrilled about it, but she understands what's happening, and and heh, that's what fucking turns her around. She's like, oh, he's like 
a mature person. Well, yeah, he comes <laughs> to a sense of maturity, and this is when he, and that, that felt very kind of romantic comedy stage that he goes to the airport. And, he goes to the airport. He's yeah. clearly on 101. In the rain. You hear on you. the radio. Right. Don't take 101. There's a lot of road work to be done. If you're gonna, if you're heading to the airport, take 280, and it's a straight shot. And I'm like, well, then she's definitely on 280 right now. And he walks into the airport, and she's right there. And she's like, could you go to Stanford? Like, have you considered Stanford? Because he's gonna go to medical school. That's the other thing. He's decided he's gonna Take his follow through, which also makes him more, I think, mature. It gives yeah. him the appearance of maturity. Yeah. So he's gonna stay with her, I guess, and go to Stanford and be a doctor, and they're gonna have all the all the dollars. But no children, which was a discussion too. Was it? Yeah, there was a brief. Discussion I didn't remember about, that. She doesn't want to have any. But she has the. Well, she the has ch- her kids, she and she's wants. also forty, and she's not. That's seen, true. Although she's phenomenally healthy, also. It is entirely possible right. that she could have another child, but I think at this stage in both of their also, lives, she's starting her career again. All over again yes. at 40 years old. Exactly. Is not, so now is not a great time. And in five years, or it's, if he goes to medical school, you don't want him in, in medical school and residency while you're trying to raise a baby. No, no, no. By the time he's 30 and clear of that, she's going to be 50, and it's going to mm. be very unlikely that they're going to have kids. But Quincy really loves them, and they could adopt. Yeah, I think that Quincy will be... Almost like a little brother. I, I, that's what it feels like. The dynamics like of this relationship are going to be weird no matter what he does. And that's the end of the movie. Ta da! Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the end of the Kisi, movie. Kisi, Kisi, and they love each other forever. There's a lot of sex before the end of this movie, though. They there is a lot of sex. Regretful sex, and then they have sex in the shower, and then they have uh, just, just a lot of sex. Because she's a, grooving. Which is good. It's her groove. She needs to get it back. It was in his penis the whole time. Is that where it was? Apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I like this movie. Um, I like romantic movies. I, I do think it probably could have been 30 minutes shorter. All right. Because yeah, it, 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 is, it is tough to just look at her and go, bitch, you're barely, fo-. like, you're, if you're 40, I'm like 62. So, no, I don't think it was miscast unless we are looking at him because he was, like I said, 27 when this movie was made. There was an he effort to make him look older. I mean, make younger. him look younger, mm-hmm. I feel. And I said, I think it might have been that his clothes seemed oversized he or his taste seemed He was wearing very young. big clothes. Now, mm-hmm. that was also stylistically 1998. Right. That is what was happening. But I think that that also made him look younger. Yeah, I felt like that... Um, it, it but also, that the definition that he had, I was like, well, he's not that young because, like, physically, I don't know that a 20-year-old could be built the way that he is built. <laughs> like, I think you have to be at least 22 to have that physique. Like, unless you're taking HGH. I don't know. Like, right, you're taking Because he's right. bonkers, too. Like... And I like how like it's it shows some realistic family dynamics, a very good friendship. It makes me want to read some Terry McMillan. It was a pretty smart like it's pretty smart. It it didn't it took seriously some of the issues that it did. I felt like it was too long on the romance, and it really should have been less about the romance, more about the rest of her life. 
Right. Because like, her groove is not... Yeah, yeah. The way that you're... And you're doing an excellent job of, of what comes across in the film, which is she just... And it seems almost... This is going to sound really horrible, but it seems almost as if it's that very kind of masculine stereotype. She just really needed a good lay and yeah. everything would sort itself out. Yeah. And... So what the parts where we're coming to where she's discovering herself, which is really what she needs, he's a part of that, but he's not all of it. No. And I think this film overemphasizes her relationship at the cost of, well, what about her career? That's true. And you don't uh-huh. see, like, you hear people giving her shit for being single. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's divorced, so right. it's not like she's been alone forever. She's like, I don't know, me. To use that terrible word, uh, old maid. But, I mean, she's a highly successful woman. She's got a nice house in Marin. She's got a son who's well-adjusted, well-behaved, like, yeah, smart kid, good relationship there. So the only thing that's quote-unquote missing is a relationship, which she says at the beginning she's not even fucking looking for, because people keep trying to hook her up with people. And then when she does find somebody that she's interested in, She's called desperate by all the same people who were like, bitch, get a man. And I'm no. like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, why? Ladies can't win. <laughs> There's something that he says to her at the end where he talks about noticing younger women also. Yes. And there's a couple of scenes where younger women certainly are noticing him. Of course. And then there's another scene where she's introduced to him, a judge and his wife, and the judge is paid by Carl Lumley, and she makes eye contact, and she's obviously... You know, I did it, but that scene was just dropped. There's no explanation for what did that mean. That they... judge uh-huh. was the the phone call that she had at the beginning. Okay. Her sister had given him her number. All right. And he called her, I think, well. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, and he called her, and she had a conversation with him while she was watching that Jamaica commercial with her in the commercial. Yeah, okay. So she it. was like not focused on that, but she was flirting heavily, maybe without even realizing what she was saying, because she was hallucinating. That's true. Okay, yes, I remember. She was talking about being really forward. and So she was very forward with him in that first phone call, and Uh then they never talked again, and then... They meet. They meet. And it's Carl Lumley. And he's like... Who has made the same qualities, but he's... You said some things, I'm still on board don't mind this woman I'm with. Yeah. <laughs> Which was a little... That's what I didn't like. Was he was very much like that That offer is still on the table as he is with another woman. Yeah. I'm just like, that's some tacky bullshit. But I... Uh, yeah, that scene, I felt like it just... There was a whole other subplot again that just sort of got dropped. And I... Yeah. I felt that if you were going to take all this time to tell this story... This having been said, I enjoyed the movie. Right. Not, I, I like a lot of what it represented as mm-hmm. well. But I think that, and it seems strange coming from me maybe, but at, and it could be time having been, it just makes it look like she just really needed a good one and now she's got her shit in, in order. Yeah. And what I really wanted it to be is like, oh, there's all these other peripheral stories that talk about her. Right. But instead, we're focusing on this romance, and we keep beating the same points over and over, over again. Over and over again. I'm too old. That, that we we objectively right. are looking at you and going, no. Right. It doesn't seem like a conflict <laughs> at all. Yeah. And when I'm seeing the way that that scene with Carl Lumley, if we had expanded on that, then you would understand that there was a conflict about yep. being more comfortable with a man her own age. Yep. Or 
if we had seen more of if we'd seen her on dates with right. anybody or else if we had seen more about her job we'd understand why her you know why she felt or why Whoopi is constantly warning her about becoming this sort of job widow that yes she yeah but none of those things were emphasized but we don't to the see extent, it yeah no it's true uh, that it would give us a bigger idea of her mostly what we get about her is her sex life yeah and that was a conscious decision you I appear think. to be lonely this are you lonely be, uh, this Have a penis. After, It'll make you feel better. <laughs> this was after waiting to exhale, I think. Um, I don't know that. Um, Go ahead and look, and I will find it. Look, and so I think that as a. I feel like it's about the same time. Yeah, but I 1995. Think that, so is it after or before? This no, waiting to exhale was 1995. This movie was 1998. Okay, so I think that she was building off of what she was coming off of with that. And so I don't also a Terry McMillan right. joint. So I think that it might be that I should read some Terry McMillan. She's not. She was popular. She was a popular member of the cast. She got pushed forward. She might not have been the best fit for this part because she's not vulnerable at all. It's like you know. Um, yeah, or or more of those things needed to be built out. Yeah, and they weren't built out in the script. It wasn't giving me room to imagine why. No, you know. it was just look at these beautiful people and look how beautiful they are together. Which is important and then, too. And we've discussed that when we were discussing um, coming to America and all, where the emphasis was. I, I think I remember, or we were when we were talking about that film. We talked about how there was so much going on in the movie. It was a romantic comedy. It was sort of an action, not action movie, but it was a. A social comedy and all this other stuff going on because it felt like Eddie Murphy and the director were saying, "Okay, we have a black comedy film now. Let's try to stuff as many of the elements as we can to show the range of what we can do with the film. You don't have to stick black performers into any sort of urban comedies all the time, which is what they were doing, right? Uh, or what producers were doing with black actors. So it's almost as if this time, given the choice of showing the whole spectrum of her existence, we just decided to go with the romance because yeah. we don't see it." We don't see black people and black people. That's true. So that might have been the Strong case. Strong black love. I mean, even the Sydney Party film that I just mentioned, half of that time he's being romanced or romancing white women. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, that's a, wow. That's interesting. I mean, think of a patch of blue or guess who's coming to dinner. Or oh, yeah, films. I guess it's that's like, true. He was representing the the black man who gets brought home to, to meet the parents, basically. Right. And Which so is so weird even since performers like Harry Belafonte, the world of he's romancing Inger Stevens. So we're we're who's as blonde Inger. He is blonde more as more often than get. not. Yeah. Black women are not love interests. It's not black men that get the short shrift in that mm. particular um, area. It's black women. But almost like we're bringing them into consciousness by saying when they make love to white people, then they can be, you know, fully realized as romantic characters. Right, which is weird because so many people had so much problem with black men and white women uh-huh. up until, you know, last Tuesday. <laughs> well, when I'm sure... I mean, this Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, this is why... Boys were murdered. Yeah, for looking at white women, and why they continue to be, you know, and, in many ways. And for that to be the thing that Hollywood puts forward is right. And this has led to something that I was talking to you about also in in conversation not too long ago, which was Ooh, a, I want to read. I'm gonna. Young men were murdered. Right. I the term boys is loaded. That's we're true. trying to do better. Um, which would be. Oh, Lord. It was Denzel Washington 
in the Pelican Brief, why he doesn't have romantic scenes with with uh, Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts, because he felt that he did not want to be the black man romancing a white woman on screen. And, and I don't remember. I think in the book they do end up getting together. Also in the book, he's, he's a white character. A white character, mm. which you only really know at the very end. They describe his pale legs at the beach or something. Mm-hmm. He's not described in a way that makes you automatically think white, but there is that one descriptor at the very end of the book, um, which I'm glad they did colorblind casting for that because I really like that movie and I thought that the casting was well, really also, good. Also, even in the, the Bone Collector, he has this very odd relationship with Angelina Jolie yeah. and Denzel where he's... You know, in uh, he's a quadriplegic, I think. Yes. And so there's not the kissing romance, and the, well, but in both of these cases, I have to say Denzel Washington's ability to project sex appeal is such well that in both cases, like there's a scene with Angelina Jolie in The Bone Collector, he's quadriplegic, where she kind of touches his hand affectionately while he's asleep, and she thinks he's asleep, and he wakes, he's actually waking, he tells you know molesting that. The handicapped is an offense. Right. And it, it plays off almost as a flirtation. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. becomes really kind of funny. He has the ability to carry that well, out. Well, he is like the personification of charisma. Yeah, there's some performers who can just, you know, put it out there and it's all over the place and you don't need the romantic scene to carry across a romantic intention. Right. But also, he is a man in Hollywood who has been married to the same woman for mm-hmm. a very long time. Yeah. Who is not a star. She's just a woman who's mm-hmm. known him forever. Right. Um, like a Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Hugh Jackman. <laughs> um, okay. I, I, that sounded wrong. But so okay. are we coming to the... <laughs> To the end of uh, Stella and her groove. Yes, I really enjoyed the movie, but I have to say I had some reservations about yeah, the way that no, it was. There, there, it could have been better. I'm curious to read a Terry McMillan yeah, book. Yeah, I think that if we get the book and we get the whole breadth of the book, they, these other things were hit on, but I think that it it was probably coming off the success of the other Terry McMillan movie and they wanted to emphasize the romantic right, element. Right, exactly. The, a movie is one thing, so mm-hmm. what is it? It's a romantic drama. Cool. We're going to kill Whoopi. <gasps> Sad. <laughs> <laughs> Who's very good in this movie. If, she's, if, you've, she's only seen, if you've only seen her as a commentator or on The View, and this is your familiarity with Whoopi? Whoopi? Whoopi. 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 Which is very funny, because uh, there was an interview on um, the Arsenio Hall show years ago when that was on with Chuck Norris. And Chuck Norris was telling uh, Arsenio, you know, one of my great regrets is that I'm not the person who introduced Whoopi Goldberg to audiences. That he was shooting a film on location, uh, or he was going to go shoot a film, Invasion USA. He is uh, in town and so is Whoopi doing a performance of her one-woman play. Oh, okay. Which is what kicked off her career. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, she came directly from being a homeless person, I think, at that point. To, Holy shit. Yeah, you know, I don't know her story. No, I'm going to to do this. And then he sees her in the performance, and he's just blown away. And he's begging the producers, Chuck Norris, going, you have to cast this woman. She's amazing. And they're like, well, where's the sex appeal? Where's the star thing? Where's what do you call it? 
And he's like, it's an action movie. She would be hysterical. This was the most uh-huh. I'd ever seen of her. She's wearing a bathing suit with cover-up in most of this uh-huh. movie. Like, in, in most of the scenes. I saw her legs. I was like, oh, Whoopi's got legs. Right. Like, I've never seen her legs. Well, she is a pant-wearing motherfucker. When you're watching, <laughs> like, when she did her appearances on Star Trek The Next Generation. Which oh, Guinan. It's like, she. all you saw was her, her face. face. She, she was like a Muslim woman. Right. She was... Turtlenecked, uh-huh. big hat, long out, long dress, or I don't. She I was can't, behind the it bar. It was almost like a, a Cossack, like a priest's outfit. Yeah, it was very no, strange. You didn't. Yeah, she's um, not putting herself out for any of that. But it, it was. He said that was a great regret that she would have had. And he said it's nothing against the actress who was eventually in the movie playing this journalist who's following him around, but that she would have been hysterical. And seeing Whoopi Goldberg afterwards and how she had a big fondness for action movies. That was a missed opportunity because I think she would have had a lot of fun in a Chuck Norris movie. And she probably, you know, because she does love that kind of film. Um, but yeah, it just it, it brought it back to mind now. It's like the, the stuff that didn't work out that probably would have been a lot of fun to see. Yeah. So, this is going to be a clunky, ugly transition. Let's yeah. see how she does it. No, it's an, it's actually not. So one of the things that I, one of the reasons I like this movie uh-huh. is that this is a movie with a primarily black cast that is not targeting the lowest common denominator. Uh-huh. I like to watch movies with people who don't necessarily look like me. I don't need an all-white cast. These days I prefer not an all-white cast. Mm. Um, a lot of quote-unquote black movies I don't enjoy because I feel like they're talking down to their audience or making the dumbest possible jokes or Tyler Perry's in a dress and I'm not interested in it. Um, So I like this for it being a movie about actual relationships between smart people and showing, you know, it's also not slut shamey, which is another problem that I have with a lot of Tyler Perry's movies, where it's like, you had sex, now you have AIDS by the devil. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> right. That's a literal movie that he made. That's real. Um, so we don't need to shame women sexually. That's not necessary. Um, and yeah, make a smart movie mm-hmm. with good characters in it. Make them black. Yeah. I'm on board. And uh, with that in mind, my recommendation this week, (laughs) I'm just going to dive right into it, nope, is uh, by another black filmmaker uh, who may have been off his game for a little while, but Spike Lee's new movie, Black Klansman, (laughs) Black K Klansman, it's how do we say it? Well, I think it's just black Klansman. It's a visual pun, really. It is a visual pun. So his new movie that came out uh, August 10th, we saw it yesterday. Uh, it's extraordinary. It's so, so, so good. And I don't want to, like, the trailer tells you what it is. First black officer in Colorado Springs wants to go undercover, picks up the phone, and calls the Ku Klux Klan. Gives his own name. <laughs> Don't do that. 
you should have an alias. Um, and then works with white uh, other other cops, obviously, who are all white because he is the first black cop in Colorado Springs, Colorado, to infiltrate the KKK. Uh, it happened for real. It says at the beginning there is a title card that says this is based on some for real, for real shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's great. And everyone should see it, especially white people. Hey, white people, go see this movie. Um, You know, everybody should see it. And I think everybody, a lot of people who I'm not talking to will see it. White people also need to see it. Um, it, I love the whole thing, and then the last two minutes are like a fucking gut punch, which is necessary. Well, you that way, you <laughs> I'm not going to say what it just is. A trigger warning: it is very harsh. It's, There's but post, it's real, yeah. and it's, it's just that this for real, for real shit that happened in the 1970s is too goddamn close to what is happening right. outside right now. So, so the warning that you can give people is that there's a coda. There, there's a is that even the right word mm-hmm. in the film? Denouement. Uh, at the very end, and you, you've seen those before when he did Bamboozled, which is a hard film to watch. Spike Lee um, about a black actor who's put onto a television show where he's in blackface. Oh God! It is. It's it's a good movie, but it's excruciating because it's just so damn painful. Um, there's a th- at the end of the film, over the credits or before the credits, there is a s- just pictures and pictures of Mammy memorabilia, to give you a sense that as outrageous as the premise of the movie was, more outrageous things have happened. Yeah. When I I saw this film. I didn't go into it with a lot of expectation other than I thought it was going to be funny and funny. Spike Lee the trailer we've seen the trailer great. a lot. Spike Lee is actually very funny. That's something that gets lost. And I remember when Do the Right Thing first came out, mm-hmm. he was getting a lot of championing from Siskel and Ebert, which were two really powerful voices to have. And he was making these films. I remember at the time one statement he made, which is he does make films for white audiences. He doesn't? Doesn't. Was doesn't. misinterpreted. Uh, what he meant to say is that, what do you feel that white audiences will think? Well, I'm not making this film necessarily for them. And then it became, he doesn't make film for white uh, for Which white is, people. that's fine. Right. It's like, I'm not here to sort of change my character so that white folks will understand. Yeah, or, or um, offer explanatory commas. Right. Like, do your fucking homework. So this is a film from, and you put this together with some of the other films over his career, and he's also a good filmmaker when he's not making films about issues about black and white. He's a very good filmmaker when he was doing, what was this, the, 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 the um, suspense film that he did with Jodie Foster and Denzel Washington, and uh, it was a heist film? Inside Man. Inside Man, which is a that really movie is good movie. good great. I love it's a heist great. movie. Right. It's so good. It's amazing because there's so many twists. Oh, I remember getting to the end of it for the first mm-hmm. time and I was like, this is the best movie. <laughs> and what's great is that there he's also on top of his game as a filmmaker mm-hmm. because the opening scene is something as dramatic as Clive Owen looking directly into the audience telling them, I'm about to tell you something. I'm not going to repeat myself. I never repeat myself. Right. Everything you're about to see is really important. And then he cuts to a roller coaster over the credits, which is hysterical because that's what he's taking you to. Yes. So that's a very assured filmmaker. This is a brilliant piece of filmmaking, just as a piece of film. Yeah. And it hits everything. It hits humor. It's very serious. 
There are moments that are just terrifying. The, the and, characters are right. at turns stereotypical and so specific and real. Every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Because some of those clan members, you could have characterized caricatured uh-huh. and none of them are even the one that kind of is <laughs> isn't yeah he's very they're very specific and um yeah no and there's it's... a lot of great work now john david washington plays ron stallworth he's so good he's really good and he has the difficult job both in the film and as an actor of playing a black man who's a police officer who's surrounded by black people who do not care for police officers for very obvious reasons, and his loyalties are torn. And then you have a person who I I started out with no opinion of him whatsoever, Adam Driver. You had an opinion. Well, no opinion, no good opinion of him whatsoever. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and he is just developed as an actor. I saw him in Martin Scorsese's film not too long ago, and then seeing him here, just the interplay between him and John David Washington as this cop who becomes his avatar inside the KKK, because obviously... He's the white Ron Stallworth. White Ron Stallworth. Who, and he plays it, this is in the trailer, Mm -hmm. he's Jewish. Right. But he's treating this whole thing like it's a job, and that's part of the conflict. It's like, how can you stand what they're saying? Like, they're talking about you when they're talking about Jews. Like... And, and and so and that whole thing, he's very he's very good in this. He's very good. It's to be and kind of startling. This is the first time that I've seen him where I was like, oh, he's like watchable. Because mm-hmm. normally, if he's on screen, I'm looking at whatever else is on screen. Like Daisy Ridley or somebody else. Yeah, John Boyega. Sorry, yeah. but I he's still rough for me in the Star Wars films. But um, he's never been sort of electric uh, to me. In many of these scenes, he was very watchable. And, and you're like, what's he going to do? When he was in the Scorsese film, I think Silence. Oh, um, I haven't seen it. That's right. Which is, again, really hard to watch. But I think that it, he needs a good director to push his game. I saw him doing mumblecore episodes of Girls with Lena Dunham. And this is no insult to Lena Dunham and her what she's done. Although she's a very problematic character. But I don't think that she had the ability to pull this out of him. And you have somebody who's a director who... Or uh, what he gave was what she wanted. That could have been it, too. Because That's there, a possibility really as well. Much from him. So, um, but, um, but this performance is really amazing. The performances of all of the actors are amazing. Um, yeah, it's... it's yeah, uh, no, it's it's very good. I, Topher, I can't... Topher Grace as David Topher Duke. Topher Grace as David Duke. <laughs> Hysterical. I saw somebody on Facebook today say David Duke is the role that Topher Grace was born to play. Is that mean? <laughs> <laughs> like he's very good in it, and you're like, oh, look at this likable fuck. <laughs> like, and Robert John Burke, who plays the chief, who was a guy who I like. Because I don't. This dude is in everything, and yes. I did not know his he was. Name. And his the problem is he was just missing stardom all the time. He was the second actor to play RoboCop. He plays he, Chuck's dad in Gossip Girl, y'all. Right. He <laughs> like, was 
the guy in Thinner, you know. In, oh, shit. Yeah, he was. And so he does these amazing parts, but of course. But in, then look at this. He's been in Oz. He's right. been in uh, Rescue Me. He's been in Army Wise. He's been in Person of Interest. He's been in Allegiance. He's been in is 29 episodes of Law and Order SVU. So I assume he's, he was an SVU. Right. He's a really good actor and a character, but he just keeps, keeps seem to miss it. But in this part, he plays this character really well because his character is not racist, but he's very cautious. No. And, and he keeps trying to hide it's his... It's 1970. Right. I don't even know what year it is. The 1970s. Oh, it's, it's very much the 70s. Colorado Springs, Colorado, which is the 72. home. Okay. Colorado Springs, Colorado is the home of Focus on the Family. Yeah. So it is a very white, very conservative. very conservative area. Well, obviously, there were KKK there. So... Yeah. Um, yeah, I really felt though that he, everyone, everyone in this film, and there is a leading lady in this movie who is just stunning, Laura Harrier, I guess, right? She's and beautiful, and she does a great job of playing, almost like the part of. Um, she was in Spider Man Homecoming. Yeah, she's playing the part of Ron Stallworth's conscience that's bothered. Almost. This is a movie about code switching. It's about violence. It's about deciding where you are because that's part of Adam Driver's character. It's like, am I Jewish? Am I? Yeah, yeah, de- yeah. Deciding, yeah, who, what your identity is and yeah. what that means and so for you and for other people. So yeah, I would, I would very highly recommend this film. But be prepared. There are parts of it that are very. very You're going to hear every racial epithet, racial epithet for everyone, for everyone. Because the KKK, uh-huh. they hate everyone that's not pure, white, Aryan blood. And you'll uh-huh. hear that. God bless white America. <laughs> right. There's a middle finger up because <laughs> fuck that shit. But that's me. That's not this. So this movie, I can't. You've got to. And another thing, though, it also exposes David Duke, I think, a lot. He's become a public persona. He's become... Someone in public discussion because of uh, uh, because of Donald Trump, frankly. Yeah. Um, and uh, just well, because he's run for off legitimate right. office, but so. it's a good idea to remind people of because so some of the dialogue that's put in his mouth is his are his words are his words. These and are so things that he says. It's important to remember this is who this person is, and this is the person who uh, right wing politics has allied themselves with. Yeah. They're good people, you know. So, yeah, I, I would yeah, recommend it, too. There's good people on all sides. Ugh. That is my recommendation. Do you have yeah. a different recommendation, or no, was that no, your that recommendation? No, no, that was an outstanding film, and I really would like people to go out and see it. It is, it's, it's an experience, too. All righty. I think that's going to bring us to the end. Mm-hmm. Hey, white people, watch the movie with black people in it. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would have put it that way, but sure. Well, I mean... It's going to be helpful at some point to see, because I've always felt that my big thing was seeing movies outside of my experience. Yes. So I'm watching An Officer and a Gentleman because I'll never know that world. I'm watching Saturday Night Fever because I'll never know that world. I'll watch I Walk the Line because I'll never know about what it was like to be in Appalachia. Um, and in that kind of environment where everyone knows everyone is so insulated and isolated from the world. I so, walked the line? Yeah. I don't know what that is. 
It's a film about a sheriff who... I thought you meant Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash story. Well, no, no. Um, it yes. uses the same... It uses that song, but it's a film from the 70s about a police sheriff who falls in with a young girl from a, a mountain family. Ah. But it's not a My Appalachian yeah. Touchstone movie is Winter's Bone. Which is, again, a movie I same. saw because it's the same thing. It immerses you in a world that it, and you don't necessarily ever want to visit this world. This might be as close as I ever nah, want to get. Nah, you're good. Um, but uh, for the experience of people who don't know this world, this is a good way of seeing it because I love, I mean, one of the things I love about it is that you are looking at black and white people working together. What are we talking about? Which movie are we um, talking about? We're talking still about Black Klansmen. Oh, okay. Okay, so we're watching black and white people working together for a common good. We're watching the kind of camaraderie that happens when a group of men are working together on a job like this. And it's very funny because there's a lot of give and take. And uh, especially with the superior officers at one point when Walt Stallworth is talking to them. Yeah. There's a lot of... Um, yeah, There's this is a... For people who are too young to know what a Soul Train line was, you get to see one in this film, and that's one of the high points for me. I loved it. They I started doing it in the club, and I was like, oh, shit, they really did that shit? Oh, yeah, they did. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. That was amazing. And so I was like, oh, God, this is taking me back. It was great. So it, and it also gets away from the image of black people in playing criminal parts, black people playing, what? no, this is just sort of, and that, that scene to All me... All the criminals in this movie, mm-hmm. they white. Yeah, it scene to me brings back something that Spike Lee, and I think it was a good choice to show that, is that these are the people that you're afraid of. These are people who are just having a good time and dancing, and this is what you have to wipe off the face of the earth. You have yeah. to protect yourself from this. So, yeah. Um, no, again, highly recommended. Okay. Thank you for listening. Uh, next week, we are watching Babylon AD. It's not an animated movie. If I keep unless, telling myself, I will uh, remember. Unless you count Vin Diesel. He's not a animated. I believe that he is a CGI figure. I it's don't not believe true. there is such a thing as a real Vin Diesel. I believe that, um, yeah, his best performances for me are voice performances. So. Yeah, I could see that. A lot of Iron Giant and Groot. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to reach out and tell us that we did a thing bad or did a thing good, then we can be found at Gmail, uh, latecomerspod at gmail.com or on Twitter at latecomerspod. Uh, I am online at amityarmstrong.com. Lemuel's book is at ceiling... Is... is <laughs> Lemuel's book is Ceiling Night, uh, which can be found at Amazon.com. And I think that's everything. That's everything. We thank you very much. We love you. And remember, better, better late, late than, than never. never. That's a long report. Stop. We'll be-